Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. And welcome everybody to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. And let me just say that we are in a digital age where we track our children's every move through apps and access to their grades within minutes of the teachers posting them. We send pictures at the push of a button before we've even considered whether or not we should share them or if we have consent to share them. Yikes. I was interviewed on Good Morning America about this topic because of how the number of likes affects how a tween or teen feels about their worthiness. And this can lead to the creation of an online persona that teens create to attract likes, even if the persona doesn't represent who that child is at the core, or how we can help that child cope with that zero privacy and constant judgment. We've got a lot going on here. Let's bring in my friend and friend of the show, Dr. Devorah Heitner. Devorah Heitner, PhD, is the authority parents turn to for empowering advice on raising resilient and kind kids. And she has written a great book called Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. She has spoken at top companies and excellent schools all over the world and has written for different things like the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, uh, Fast Company, among others. Dr. Heitner earned her PhD in Media and Technology and Society from Northwestern University and has taught at DePaul University and Northwestern. I want to welcome you back, Devorah Heitner, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, I'm glad to have you. This is such an important time and an important topic. I'm excited that both of our books are coming out kind of within a month of each other. Um, I, I loved your book, Growing Up in Public. Oh, look how cute they are together. See, they're so nice, right? They look good. <laughs> uh, and I, I, before we like launch into all of the stuff about your book and we get into the swing of the show, can you tell us what lights you up and energizes you? What lights me up and energizes me? I mean, I think in a, you mean like in addition to my work and my family, sure. it could be anything and a lot. And that has been really great. And every day is precious now because we're getting to that point in the shoulder season where I may not be able to do it much longer. So mm. that, that definitely keeps me going. Awesome. Well, I want to start with the elephant in the room. How are we to talk to kids about keeping private details to themselves and not being so public when we, as parents, are constantly posting about our lives and our children online. Well, I mean, I think we maybe need to put our sort of commitment where our mouth is. If we're going to ask our kids to be really discerning and thoughtful about posting online, I think we should be as well. And especially when we post about them. So I do think that's a place where, you know, we really do need to consider our own modeling and what we're doing. Mm, I think it is important too. So if you could, you wrote a whole book on this, but if you could think of the top three issues that you think we must address with kids 
when it comes to growing up in today's digital world? What would you say are the top three, let's do it right away issues we should be discussing? We should definitely think about how we talk about reputation and if we can talk about it in a more positive way, like a lot of times I think we threaten kids around reputation and, you know, tell them like, oh, if you do this bad thing, like you won't be able to go to an elite fancy college or, you know, everyone will hate you. And I think we want to like nuance that message a lot more and really also have some empathy for kids growing up so surveilled. So I think reputation is just a huge conversation that we should uh, come back to. And then I think we want to be always talking to kids about um, navigating this sort of friends versus followers piece. And I think that's like more of a self-esteem conversation. Um, so those two areas are really important. And then I think we just want to watch our own surveillance and make sure that we're not over-tracking and surveilling our kids um, mm. and over-relying on technology for our parenting. Yeah, that piece I was reading, you know, when I was reading about it in your book about all of the apps that we're using to keep track of our kids. I've, I've been hearing from people, especially with kids who are older than, than ours, that they put that, uh, what is it? Life, life 360 or live 360, you know, on, right. on their phone, when the kids start driving, especially, I know mm -hmm. people do it earlier mm -hmm. than that, but that's when I first started hearing about it, that they were very concerned, you know, they want to make sure that their kid got where that they, they were going. What is your prevailing opinion about Life360 and these surveillance apps and, and putting them on our children's phone? Is there a, a time when we should do it or time when we shouldn't do it? Should we be asking ourselves I think we questions should, we should ask it? ourselves if it's going to make us more stressed or less stressed and really notice if that's true. Like if you use it and it's actually causing conflict or reducing trust. So I think a lot of parents think it will reduce anxiety, but sometimes it can increase anxiety because then you're like, why are they taking so long to cross the street? Or, you know, mm. You only have so much brain space. And if you're taking your whole brain space, sort of tracking your kid all over, how are you focusing on your own life? Um, and if you have multiple kids, even more so, like is your whole life like a map of their grid? Like they need to be able to be in the world at a certain point without kind of constantly being surveilled. And sadly, some of the things we worry about knowing where they are doesn't really keep us, keep them safe in that way. So it's, you know, you think it's going to reassure you, but I have real questions about that. And I think it's important for kids to not perceive so much threat in the world and to be able to rely on themselves when they're lost or when they need something, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I remember in your book, you're talking about two women who were watching dots across mm -hmm. the screen. What the children were what going to prom or something in your book. I can't remember, but that was what they did for the entire evening was watching their, their, the dots uh, the, as the two kids were together in the car. Um, and, and I think it can be, it can be stressful. Is there a time when you think that it does make sense to, to do this? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're, if you're for, there's all kinds of surveillance, right? There's like grade surveillance, there's geo tracking, there's, you know, tra tracking our kids, uh, you know, content, what they post, what they say to their friends. And I think, if you have an extreme situation, like a kid who's just coming home from an inpatient stay, mm -hmm. that might be a time where you would want to kind of regulate their social media access, for example, um, potentially even with their knowledge and consent, be looking at some of their posts. But that would be something that I would even consider like part of a treatment plan with a mm -hmm. therapist. So I wouldn't just go sort of freelance diving into your kid's stuff with no reason. I think if you mm -hmm. have a kid who's struggling, a kid who's... Um, 
you know, in a lot of pain and maybe asking for help, that's a very different scenario Mm -hmm. than my 13 year old isn't telling me who they sat with at lunch anymore. Like they used to when they were nine or 10, because developmentally they're maybe going to be less disclosing at, as a younger adolescent or as a mid adolescent, Mm -hmm. like 15, 16, they're certainly going to potentially be less disclosing. And that's just developmentally typical. And I shouldn't just go reading their texts out of curiosity. Like everything's fine, but I just want to kind of nosy nose around in there because that undermines the opportunity for them to do things like come out to you. Like maybe they identify as LGBTQ mm-hmm. and they're, they want to like come out to you, but like they're coming out to their friends first. Maybe that's not something you want to find out just from like reading their texts or maybe they're really mad at you and they're venting to their friends, but is it going to be really helpful for you to read that? Or is it better mm-hmm. for you to sort of wait until things calm down and they come talk to you? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I think it's, it's really like reading their brains. About, like, what's, what's the benefit of this versus what is the harm? I I actually circled in my book where you were saying, is this about curiosity or is this about connection? And that those two things are separate, right? That when we are checking their texts out of curiosity, it, it actually can undermine the feeling of connectedness that you can have with your kid And if that is your goal, as you just mentioned, I don't feel like they're telling me as much. I want to feel more connected. Is that really doing the job or not? Isn't that correct? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I love the part of your book when you are talking about boundaries and you talk about one of our past guests on this show, Dr. Ken Ginsberg, who said there's a piece of ourselves that we should allow to be open to the world, but also we each have this sacred story that should be saved for those who have proven, underline circle, uh, themselves worthy. So give us the conversation starter. If you want to talk to your children about setting boundaries, both your family boundaries, as well as having the kids set their personal boundaries for photo posting and detail posting, where should we start? One of the things we can start about is asking them when they've ever felt like someone sort of violated that sense. Because a lot of times we don't know about these hidden social rules until they're violated. Um, And some kids are going to be much more perceptive about these kind of hidden social rules than others. But in general, I would say like, a lot of times, you know, when somebody's gone too far and what they've shared with you by just the feeling you get, like you're reading and you're like, wow, that's a lot of information mm-hmm. about your, you know, ex-spouse or your job or, you know, something like when you're reading on your adult posts and kids may feel differently, but when kids identify that boundary violation, sometimes that's a helpful place to be like, well, mm-hmm. why did that go too far? Or what would be another way they could share about that topic, but it wouldn't be too much. Or would it be different if they just shared with their best friend on a text versus putting it on Insta? So these are just some of the questions we can ask kids so that they can start to notice. And if they are comfortable sharing examples of what people have posted that feel too personal, a lot of times kids will insult one another by saying they're just posting for attention. And I think it's fair to kind of point out the logical flaw in that in a nice way, which is we're all posting for attention, right? Like post the whole economy of social media is attention. So I think when kids are dismissing one another and saying you're just posting for attention, Um, which is a huge thing that kids will say to kind of disparage one another is to say, well, everyone is posting for attention, but, but it's true that there's different kinds of attention as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, have you seen someone post in a way that feels like, you know, kind of an unhealthy bid for attention or a bid, you know, for attention that maybe comes at too high a cost to their privacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are just questions we can ask our kids. And then just notice like, are there topics you're more or less comfortable sharing about? 
I mean, one mm-hmm. of the things I really learned from the kids is they're more comfortable sharing on topics that we would have thought of as stigmatized or taboo in the past, you know, like sexuality, like gender identity, like survivorship, like me too stories, um, like neurodivergence, but that's not universal. And some kids might be much more private about that, which is also fine. I'm just saying that what we see is that some kids are disclosing even in their profile some of these identity categories that we probably would not have as kids or teenagers because we were um, really socialized to like stigmatize and hide those things. And I think that's a great change. Like I think Mm -hmm. the fact that kids are able to be out about their, you know, sexual orientation, their gender identity, their survivorship, their neurodivergence. um, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I want to be clear that I don't think that, you know, it's a bad thing that kids are sharing, but I also think that what Ken Ginsburg said is so important. And you want to think about who is your real friends and also, can you get the kind of support that you want when you post on social versus when you talk in person? Like if you're with your friends, you know, sitting around the campfire or at lunch, you know, maybe you just went through a breakup and you want support. Like, are you going to get that the same way if you post on Instagram or Snapchat about it versus in person, you know, where you can really gauge people's reactions and you can feel their support. And so we do want to talk to kids about that. And then we want to give kids a lot of language for how to support friends, because I think one of the things I'm finding is kids don't really know, like they don't know what to say, like their friend broke up or their friend had a hard day or their friend's struggling, but they don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. No, these are really good points. So I've had some conversations with my daughter, especially she's further along, you know, she's 14 and a half. So we've had a couple of years of, of talking about these kinds of things. And, you know, we've talked about what, what we're posting. Um, And in some cases you see that a lot of these kids, this these ages are, mouthing words to, to like lyrics of songs. Okay. Things that you would hope they wouldn't say out loud because some Mm. of the lyrics are, let's say either racy or a lot of curse words or maybe offensive in some way. Okay. So there's that piece. Then there's the other piece where they're, they might be posting things like, um, let's say they're, they're kissing somebody else. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Something like that, that, I mean, in the grand scheme, is it the worst thing? No, I'm not saying like, this is, it's not anything like pornography or anything. It's just, so when you were a little personal and it's also, we can remind our kids when they share things that are that personal, someone else could feel violated because I don't want to see that. Right. Like not everyone wants to see that. Right. So I'm wondering, like when you were talking about both that, that piece, as well as the reputation piece like in in how we're talking about that it's i had i'd written a note to my daughter um at one point because i love notes sometimes you're just like writing it in a note like i was like consider i want you to consider five different groups of people i don't remember all of them right now but like in, in uh, yourself included okay mm-hmm. five different people mm-hmm. y- yourself okay sure and then i also like want you to be considering like if your grandmother or your mom saw this, it, how would you feel? Your friends, your boyfriends, mm-hmm. parents, how would they, you know, mm-hmm. feel? The parents of the kids you babysit for, you know, how how would you feel? Like, you know, or your future self and how would you feel? Like that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. th- that was like my way of getting to it. But what would you want kids to consider before putting up a photo, a video online that may garner a lot of attention? like? 
the the lyrics like mouthing those provocative lyrics like uh, putting a kiss online like I mean, I, I, th- I think it's like a whatever. do no harm aesthetic, but also do no harm to yourself. So I definitely do think about like, and I think the family of the kids you babysit for is a good example because it's less abstract. Like, you know, that's your money on the line. And, mm-hmm. um, or with group tax, I always remind kids, especially in middle school, that somebody's mom or dad is like almost certainly reading some of this. Oh, and, like, for sure. To get invited to that 13th birthday or bar mitzvah or uh-huh. a graduation party, like, don't be the kid with the pottiest mouth on the group text because somebody's mm-hmm. mom is reading that. Yes. I, I have to agree with you. And I've actually had uh, friends, parents contact me about things that have been said in group, t- in group chats or do you know, did you see this online? Like I, I have had that happen and you know, to, to some degree you're like, do what should I know about this? And then to the other degree, you're like, hmm, like if this was somebody else's kid, would I would I say something about this? And in some cases I wouldn't, in some cases I wouldn't. Okay. You know, we all have different values. Right. And it also depends on the context and how old kids are. I mean, I think the threshold for reaching out to another parent is very different in elementary school and then middle school and then high school. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that. What What is your... Thought? Yeah. I mean, I think in high school, it would really have to be, you know, threat to self or, or other. Like anything else, I would just have my kid cut off contact. You know what I mean? Like even if somebody mm-hmm. like sent my kid something pretty inappropriate, I wouldn't necessarily reach out to the parents if a, right. if a simpler option is my kid just cutting off contact with that kid. Right. I think it would have to be like if it was a threat of harm to self or a harm to school or, you know, mm-hmm. then I would feel like basically if there's any outcome I couldn't live with, definitely mm. I would try make an effort to report it to school or to the, the parents or someone. But if, if in doubt, I think, you know, my kid just started a high school with 3000 people, you know, if somebody like airdrops him something weird, I would just be like, just block that person, turn off your airdrop, yeah. move on in your life. Like yeah. I'm not going to try to find that kid's parents. Right. Very good. So point. I just think you yeah. have to pick your battles, but I think in sixth grade, when you're more also the older kid is the less likely are to know most of the peers' parents. The younger your kid is, like if you know, like if my kid is in a fifth grade group text and it's getting toxic and I know the other parents, I think reaching out and just being like, we should all be kind of helping the kids with this, not like pointing mm-hmm. fingers, but just like, right. let's mentor the kids a little on this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let's, you know, or if you're really tight with people, like I definitely, with my kids' gaming friends in elementary school, I'd be like, can we just all agree on a time that they're going to stop? And then we're just mm-hmm. all going to hold to that. Yeah. If you have that kind of relationship, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but once they're in high school, it's like, it's on my kid to get off when it's time. I'm not going to like reach out to somebody's parents and be like, it's time for all the kids to get off discord. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. So one of the areas that I would say a lot of parents are fearing, you outline this in your book very well too, is the area of sexting. Uh, I thought you provided two like two opposing views very well. The the one side where sexting can be healthy sexuality and the other side is, you know, it can go too far and back and, and like backfire in somebody's face. So according Absolutely. to research, yeah. So according to research, as you mentioned, um, and as we know, I also wrote about in my book that it, it's this sexting is increased. Kids are are seeing sexting as just a normal part of flirting and relationships in many cases. So what can we say to our kids about sexting that doesn't come across as complete panic, but helps to underscore the dangers of sending nude photos or explicit texts uh, to somebody else who you may be in a relationship with or not, or not? 
Yeah. I mean, so there's so many, there's so many factors. So, I mean, we could have a whole hour long conversation just about sexting, but so let me start with, first of all, we overwhelmingly just want to communicate to our kids that like being curious about sexuality, wanting someone to like you, wanting someone to think you're cute or even hot, even though like that, those words probably hurt coming out of the mouth of a parent. Like nobody wants to think of their kid as hot, obviously, but like, <laughs> you know, wanting to people to think you're attractive at a young age and like as part of growing up is can be typical, can be okay. Like not everyone feels that way, but a lot of kids want to be perceived that way, want to, even if they don't want to be in a relationship yet, they still want people to like them or they want to feel like it's an option. I know I spent a lot of high school wanting to feel like I was sort of a viable girlfriend for someone, even though I actually wasn't really interested that much in dating. Mm -hmm. So that's a very kind of typical thing for a lot of kids. And, And so getting that body validation that some kids are seeking via sending explicit photos, whether that's underpants, nude video, like all of it, you know, it's so hard to think about, right? Because again, we don't want to see our kids this way. We have to remember that it's, this can be part of typical sexual exploration and growing up that can happen for teens. And this is part of how they're sort of working out how they see themselves in the world and how they want to be perceived. But then you got to throw in sexism and misogyny and toxic masculinity that, create a tremendous double standard, great, great risks, especially for girls whose images get circulated, especially if that happens without their consent. Mm -hmm. You're in a situation where boys may feel pressured to ask for images from girls. You're in a situation where some boys may actually mistakenly believe that girls want to get dick pics. And girls universally told me in uh, in my interviews for growing up in public that they do not. And especially no. as like a first foray as a like, Hey, should we get to know each other better? That that was like a big turn off. Yes. Right. Like that's not a way that they want to sort of get to know someone. And a bunch of girls told me that if some guy that they vaguely knew, or even a little bit knew at school, sent them a picture like that, even if they might've been interested before or thought they were at least like worth talking to, that would actually put them in the no pile. Yeah. And I find, I mean, we need to help kids with this because actually if guys don't know this, we need to help them. Right? That's such so a good point. We need yes. to have a conversation with our kids and we need to t- include kids of all genders, including kids who identify as non-binary. But it's very important that we don't overlook talking to boy identified kids and make sure, you know, and we're only like, like a lot of parents are like, you know, making sure that their daughters don't send nudes or topless photos, right? That is a mm. big concern. And I absolutely mm-hmm. understand that those risks are very real to us. We worry about those pictures going, you know, into the dark web or being exploited. And all of that is like understandable to worry about. Yeah. And for girls, the reputation stakes always feel higher, mm-hmm. right? This is this, it's so true. Yeah. Because there's a double standard. So we should yeah. be fighting against that double standard, making sure we tell our sons, do not ask kids for nudes. Do not send nudes unbidden. Girls need that instruction too, because sometimes girls will send nudes as well unbidden. And like, as much as boys are supposed to and are socialized in the culture, you know, sort of supposed to, um, I'm making air quotes, like, like to be happy to get that. I've talked to parents of boys who are completely freaked out. Like a girl sends a topless photo and he's like, that actually is, is a violation of my boundaries. Mm-hmm. I don't know you that well. I don't really want to see you with your shirt off. Right. So we might imagine in the culture that some boys would like that. And I mean, the reality is there are boys who are like, woohoo, you know, yeah, but that's right. not everyone. And we shouldn't be sending pictures like that without consent. Now let's like across the board in the U S and most countries, it's also illegal for kids to send nudes and there is a legal risk, but I don't lean heavily into that in the book because when we lead with that legal risk, we're ignoring the fact that nine, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like leading with, you're going to get arrested. If you jaywalk, mm. I'm worried if you, that if you jaywalk, you're going to get run over. Most people do not get arrested for crossing the street, not at the light or at the crosswalk, but I am worried you could get run over. Mm-hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I'm much more worried about the social and privacy risks with sexting than I am about the legal risk for most kids. The legal risks are real, but most kids don't experience them. And hopefully judges are turning away from prosecuting, especially consensual sexting, which I believe should not be a crime. I want to be clear. Like, I don't mm -hmm. believe that like two people, adult or child, you know, or teens, whatever, exchanging nude photos of their own choice that they don't share without consent with anyone else should be a crime, but we do live in a world where that is criminalized. So we have to let kids know, mm -hmm. but they know so many kids who've sent the, these kinds of photos, like certainly a bra photo or a topless photo or whatever, and not gone to jail or been fined or whatever, that I think it undermines our credibility as parents if we like lean too much into that. So, okay. So I got the legal thing out of the way. So the privacy and social risk is you're offending someone else by giving them an explicit photo they didn't ask for, or you give someone a photo they did ask for and they either don't reciprocate or aren't worthy of your trust and they share it around, mm -hmm. right? And they share it around in a way that has different kinds of risks, right? And there's just some inherently, again, like just to be very sort of cis and binary and, and hetero for a minute in the conversation, there are different risks with a topless photo with your face than a picture of a boy's genitals, that is really, it is really hard to identify that. Yeah. Like what adult is going to be like, oh, I know who that is, you know, <laughs> right. right? Like that's, that's a good so, point. so there's a different level of risk there. Yeah. And so we see that dynamic play out in schools. Now I want to like make sure I talk about, because I share in the book, some research about queer kids, because there's some different vulnerabilities and risks and mm -hmm. also motivations. Yeah. We see um, there's a really interesting study about gay boys and sexting, and it's from the UK, but it's pretty analogous and it lines up with the kids that I was able to talk to. And I will say, this is a tough topic to talk to kids about. And there weren't that many kids in my interviews who wanted to go there. So I am relying a lot on the research because there's not a lot of kids who want to like get on Zoom with someone and just like disclose whether they've right. sent a nude or not, right. whether it's in the context of relationship responsive, you know, in flirting. Mm -hmm. So I did have some of those convos, but these researchers in the UK found that a lot of gay boys and, and I think it was gay and bisexual identified boys, um, but boys who were interested in dating other boys were in a situation where they were not getting body validation at school because schools were predominantly focused on heterosexual culture. Like even schools that have, you know, whatever, like a GSA or some kind of visible queer community, the overwhelming culture is still heterosexual. The overwhelming sort of like, you know, prom or end of year dance or sweethearts or all of that. Yes. And that's similar in the UK to here. And so these boys mm -hmm. were not getting that validation at school. They were not getting checked out. They were not getting to feel cute. And so sending images and including trading images with people they had met online and did not know in person, which is incredibly risky, mm -hmm. was very appealing to them. And so I just think parents need to take a step back and understand all of the things that kids are going through. They're trying to figure out their identities. They're looking for body validation. They may be getting pressured to send images. And we want to take a step back and think about how can I help them shore up their self-esteem so that if some rando either sends them a picture that they don't want to see, they can just block them or, or says to them, do you send? And a lot of girls would tell me, boys will start conversations with them on text or Snapchat with, do you send? Like, that's like the opener. And what they mm -hmm. mean is, will you send me nudes? And then mm -hmm. the, if they say no, then they just like go away. Yeah. They ghost, mm -hmm. right? And so we want to help kids navigate those boundaries. We want them to be able to say no, thank you to an mm -hmm. image or to say no, thank you to sharing. And if they do choose to share, we want them to do harm reduction strategies that I share in the book from Justin Patchen and Samir Hinduja that I think, again, might make parents feel nervous because if I give my kid a harm reduction strategy around sharing nudes, am I condoning sharing nudes? Mm -hmm. If I say something like, well, I really don't want you to share nudes, but if you share a nude, maybe don't have identifying details like your face in it, mm -hmm. um, is that kind of condoning 
you know, mm-hmm. something I don't think they should be doing. And my answer is that harm reduction is always important. Mm. And even getting that specific and nitty gritty about it is helpful because when kids are in the sort of rush of that first experience of like love or attraction, it can be very hard for them to think rationally. Yes. All of us are like this, but especially teenagers. And so the more thinking they've done beforehand when it wasn't such a like a hot potato moment in their lives, the more they're able to kind of like, oh yeah, maybe I might want to do this, but let me think about it. It really does slow them down a little bit and it can help them have those conversations. The other thing we want to do is we do so much prevention around sexting and we need to do some postvention because if your kid's nude is already out there or there's like some something they wrote or a video, we need to make sure that they know we still respect them, mm-hmm. that they can still respect themselves, that they should not feel like they're a bad person or that they, you know, that we shouldn't allow any kind of slut shaming of everyone, girl, boy, non-binary kid, like nobody should be shamed. And instead they are a person whose safety was violated. If someone and privacy was violated, if someone shared that image around without their consent and that they have rights, including mm-hmm. legal rights, like they can, you know, you can, you can serve that kid a lawyer letter to stop sharing. You can get that image of an underage person taken down from social media sites. And you can hold your head up high knowing that you didn't share somebody's image without their consent. And that is a much mm-hmm. sort of like wronger thing to do. If we're looking at the hierarchy of like bad decisions, like maybe you think it was a poor decision for your kid to take the photo in the first place. But the person who shared without consent is the one who's really committing the violation. And so I think that we want to make sure our kids know never to do that, including never to pass on an image of a stranger. Like literally you get the, you know, somebody texts you and you're on the bus or in the cafeteria. You never want to be the person who's amplifying the harm of hurting mm. someone else mm. by sharing that image. So that was like a lot about sexting, but I have strong. No, I love that. Don't, don't be the person who amplifies the harm. That is a quotable that should definitely be put on a meme and shared. That's really terrific. Thank you. So I know that you, 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 you know, that I've, I've done a book on body image and girls. One of the chapters that you write about is related to, um, affinity. Well, you talk about affinity spaces where there are communities of people who might share something that unites them online. It might be something great like, um, body neutrality or body positivity. I certainly hang out in those spaces. I so appreciate the, the people who are putting back, putting those types of messages forward. You also have people who are cancer survivors or kids who love horses. It could be anything, right? But it also can be, as I learned when I was writing that book, a very dangerous area where kids can learn how to hide eating disorders, for example, from their parents, like strategies on how to do that, which was really damaging. So what should we be saying to our kids about affinity spaces that may be causing more harm than good, or maybe looking for affinity spaces where you have something in common with people that are good? How can we talk to them about that? Yeah. I mean, I think we just want to make sure our kids have access to real life support to kind of balance out some of those things. And obviously some things are more risky than others, you know, like affinity, obviously like an affinity group for anime fans could, you could still meet someone creepy in that space, but the space itself doesn't have to be risky. Like an affinity group for people identify as having a certain kind of mental health issue can be risky because it can be reinforcing. So I think if it's validating to kids to spend some time in those spaces and they feel seen and connected it can be okay, but I would want to make sure that if they have a therapist and hopefully if your kid's struggling in an ongoing way with a mental health issue, they have access to a therapist at school or in the community, 
that at least the therapist knows that they're using that space and that they're in that space and can kind of keep checking in with them about how that's going. That's like kind of a minimum. Now, if you have a kid again, who's like coming home from an inpatient stay or, you know, is really kind of in the throes of a crisis, that might be a kid who really shouldn't be using affinity spaces because they really need like, you know, a a day program or some kind of really immersive support that's maybe not available online, or you want to make sure they're not getting support you know, from people who aren't qualified to give it. Right. Right. Um, But again, there are kids. And I mean, I say this very carefully because I know like self-diagnosis, for example, is a very tricky thing. And I know in the neurodivergent community among adults, self-diagnosis can be really empowering. And there are people who've had really positive experiences. I think with kids, there's, you know, especially if you have a kid who's still in school and they have access to anything like an actual neuropsych, um, you know, I would lean into that. I don't think hopefully kids need to self-diagnose, but again, I don't want to take away from the ways people have experienced that in a positive way. But I do think if your kid's suddenly watching TikTok and is like, oh, I have X or Y syndrome yeah. out of nowhere, obviously that's not a great thing. <laughs> and they may need to like sit down with a physician or a therapist to kind of, you know, be kind of talk to you in a different way. And I think when parents try to do that, doesn't work as well because they're kind of wired as teenagers to really like need a little space from our authority. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would like lean into a doctor or someone else that is a trusted authority who also, I mean, again, like for me, like, I'm like, well, I don't think you have that, but I also didn't go to medical school. Let's talk to Dr. So-and-so. Right. You know? That's because good point. I think we do want to take our kids' concerns seriously. And even if maybe we don't agree with what they've come up with, maybe we also want to validate there's a reason they're searching for some of this. Mm-hmm. And like, what is that reason? What are they looking for? What are, why are they looking for this online? Right. And asking them to get to the reason, the story behind the reason. Right. Like asking them what makes you feel that way, you know, what's going on in your life that's making you identify in that way so that they mm-hmm. can, they can come up with the reasons and you can, you can instead go by the description. So if they're like, Mm -hmm. I'm having trouble concentrating in class, I'm finding myself, you know, getting, you know, getting off topic a lot, or the teacher has to keep correcting me instead of saying you have ADHD, you could say, well, let's go see the doctor and you can explain your, how you're feeling and what, what describe to them what's going on that just like you described to me, because then, then they're not diagnosing they're they're helping to uncover whatever might be going on. Exactly. All right. So can you give us your top tip? What would you want people to come away with after reading your book, after listening to this podcast that would help the most uh, understand how these kids are growing up in public and how we can help them to cope better with the digital world. I think my top tip is stay super curious. That doesn't mean we're spying on our kids, but we're just very curious and interested in like, what are their experiences online? What are the experiences they're having in social media spaces, you know, on TikTok, on discord, like, and what do they think about it? Like always curious to know, like, what conclusions are you coming to? Like, what do you think about the TikTok algorithm. What do you think about this particular YouTuber you follow? Um, and in those conversations, hopefully we can kind of figure out what our kids value, what they are learning from, what they're excited about. And those are great ways to then support our kids and also figure out maybe what they're more clueless about, what they need help with. You know, are, are there are there areas where they need mentorship online or areas where maybe they might be more vulnerable to misinformation or more toxic content? Um, I'm not going to say any of this is easy. Like all of this is a lot of work, but 
I think when we believe that just by gating kids out of certain spaces or these, I think, misguided parental consent laws, like the recent one in Utah, I don't think that's the way to go because I don't think saying like, oh, well, once you're 18, you'll figure it out is the answer. And we'll just Mm -hmm. keep you completely out of it until then. I think we have to like let our kids into these spaces, but with a lot of caution and a lot of intelligence and a lot of mentorship and then help them, you know, resolve, you know, mistakes and repair as they go. And I do think the app companies could do a better job when we report problems being responsive, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't think they get off the hook either. Mm-hmm. I just don't think putting this all on parents and be like, oh, parents read every direct message your kid ever gets, you know, and that's how we keep kids safe till they're 18. Like, I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think that's realistic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredibly invasive. And I think in a family where the dynamic isn't positive, it could be really dangerous for kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's many reasons why I don't think that's the way to go. Um, but I also don't think we just throw some phones at some 12 year olds and be like, good luck, have fun. Bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. And, and when we're, when we're doing all of these things and we're considering all the things that we should be talking about, it would be great for them to be referring to some of the the specific points in your book because you're giving them ways to to talk to the kids. You're giving them specific tips. You're telling them you know extra research that they can look at. So can you tell us where these people can get more information about you, your book, and the work you're doing? Absolutely. So growing up in public is in all the places, you know, your Barnes and Noble, your Amazon, your indie bookstore, your bookshop.org. My website, DevorahHeitner.com has lots of information about like bringing me to your community to support your school or your employee resource group. And you can also follow me on Substack at DevorahHeitnerSubstack.com and Instagram DevorahHeitnerPhD. Um, but definitely if you if you want to get the book, there's also uh, some discussion guides on my website where maybe you and your parent friends can get together and read it and talk about it because so much wisdom is in the uh, you know in the minds of other parents. And I think sometimes a book is like a jumping off point to just be in a communicate community and talk to other people. I think one of the things that especially in these last three years we haven't done as much is build these relationships with other parents and talking to other parents around these digital issues, I think is incredibly helpful because I think a lot of us are like winging it and it's just really helpful to hear what other folks are doing. Awesome. Well, Devorah's book comes out today, everybody. It's happening today. So please go and get your book. It's called Growing Up in Public. And I also want to remind you that in Two days, September 14th, I'm joining forces with Alyssa Blast Campbell to bring you a live virtual event, Navigating Tough Conversations with Kids. And I hope you will sign up for that, everybody. That's September 14th from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And all you have to do is pre-order both of the books, show your, uh, your receipt, and we'll send you over there. Please look for the link we'll be sending out many times over And I just want to thank you, Devorah Heitner, for being on the show today. I so appreciate it. I'm so excited for your book that came out today. And I just appreciate the way that you tell us we can navigate these situations, providing both the positive and the negative without scaring us to pieces. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you. That's my plan. And I can't wait for your book too. And I can't wait to just be in, in these conversations. You know, that's, it's so important to keep these conversations going and to ask the hard questions. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask. So thank you again, Robin, you, you go there. 
Yes, it is my pleasure. Yes, I, I am often told I ask the I ask the hard-hitting questions and we've got to do it. And you provide the answers. So we appreciate you doing that and, and helping us with these. These are things that we're all thinking about. So we might as well get them out and uh, and discuss them. And thank you for saying that about my book, everybody. Pre-order my book. It's coming out October 10th, about a month from now. I cannot believe it. And I can't wait to go to your hometowns and talk with you about all of the things at your local schools and communities and businesses. You can bring me in and go to my website, drrobinsilverman.com to find out answers about that. All right, everybody, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends I know you have yours, so let's discuss them. You can go up to the Facebook page, you go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it at in at Twitter, which is now X under Dr. Robin, and Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm going to be going back and forth with Devorah Heitner, and all of her links are going to be in the show notes because we want to be able to share memes take some of the things that she said, share them around, talk about the podcast. Let's do it. And if you love this podcast episode, like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. I cannot tell you how helpful those five-star reviews are. And speaking of five-star reviews, let's give one to Devorah Heitner on Amazon. That helps a lot too. And when my book comes out, I hope you'll do that as well. I'm telling you these five-star reviews really help. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, like I said, go to drrobinsilverman.com. Great podcast up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well, and you'll see I've done a major turnaround on my website. We've done a complete overhaul, and I'm very excited to share it with you. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. I know you heard things today, and you're like, I haven't talked about that. I haven't talked about that. I messed up on that. That's okay. Me too. Okay. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always a tomorrow. Most of the time we have a chance to do things over. So if you heard something today and you're like, eh, I got to do that over. That's all right. Parenting typically provides that ultimate do-over. So if you haven't talked about it, talk about it now. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.